We're glad to have you here today in the service. We have started today, it's a great day, we're starting with the storyteller, it's about the parables of Jesus Christ. When our team, our, our preaching and teaching team got together, we started discussing this and you know, if you're going to read a book, if you're going to tell me about a book, don't start with the third chapter and then go to the fifth chapter and then go to the ninth chapter and then come back to the first chapter. I kind of want it in order. So we got to thinking about that. What does the parables look like in chronological, chronological order in the way they were given? Because I believe that there's a certain message there if you listen to the parables in the order that Jesus actually gave them. Another thing, when you're dealing with a parable, it's just like the Bible said, you shall be my witnesses. If, if, there was, if I was in an accident up the road there and you all run up the road and you, start, you, know, you saw the accident, if the police came and all of you gave the exact same story, every single detail the same, they would think what? That I put you up to it. That it wasn't true. Because the story should have some differences. The truth should be the same, but the story should have different reverence. Well, I was looking, I was looking you know, north, and it looked like this to me. Or this red car was coming hit this blue car. And, you know, well, when I saw it, I heard the brakes. So I heard something, and I saw something. And each one of you would tell pieces of the story. But when they put all the stories together, they would be a commonality of truth. So when you hear the parables whether we share it from the book of Matthew or Mark or Luke, you're hearing these people share the story from their reference point. Sometimes it's more to the Jews, more to the Gentiles. It's, it, they have different reference points. So the story sounds a little different, but it's just them telling their story and there's truth in that story. Uh, kind of reminds me of a, a guy. He was a country preacher, but he was uh, had went in... Uh, said he would be willing to come. The, the pulpit committee at a church wanted to interview him for a possible candidate for their next pastor. So finally, he got to go and do the job interview. And the committee finally interviewed him and they asked him, do you know much about the Bible? Because we love people that know the Bible. And the preacher said, oh yeah, I know the Bible through and through. Well, what's your favorite book, they asked. Well, my favorite book is the book of Mark. Well, what part I mean what's the favorite part of the book of Mark my favorite part is the parables he said and they said well you know what is your favorite parable then he said the good Samaritan well the pulpit committee said well, can you tell me a little bit about the good Samaritan and the preacher said yeah it goes like this once there was this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked him. And as he went on, he didn't have any money. And he met the queen of Sheba, and she gave him a thousand talents of gold and a thousand changes of raiment. And he got in his chariot and drove furiously. He was driving so furiously that he got, he got uh, caught into the chariot. Uh, and he drove under a Jupiter tree, and his hair got caught on a limb of a tree. He hung there for many days, and the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink. He ate 5,000 loaves of bread and two fishes. Then one night, while he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair, and he dropped and fell on the stony ground. But he got up and went on. And as he began, it began to rain, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. So he hid himself in a cave, and he ate locusts and wild honey. 
Then he went on until he met a servant who said, come, let's have supper together. But he made an excuse. I can't come to supper. No, I, I won't come because I married a wife and I cannot go. So the servant went out in the highways and hedges and he compelled him to come in. After supper, he went on and came down to Jericho. When he got there, he looked up and saw old Queen Jezebel sitting high up on the window. And he laughed and she laughed at him. So he said, throw her down. And he said, throw her down again. Throw her down again. And then he said, throw her down again. Throw her down 70 times 7. And the fragments that remained, they picked up 12 baskets fulls besides women and children. The Bible says, blessed are the peace, P-I-E-C-E makers. Now, whose wife do you think she will be on judgment day? And the pulpit com committee said, wow, you do know the scripture. <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't think that's the way the parable goes. Or, you, or you're the ones I need to be preaching to today. I'm going to be dealing with four parables today. They're the first four parables that Jesus spoke of, and they're in chronological order. We're going to put the verses up here. Sometimes I will go right according to the verses. Sometimes I'll be using, he may be using Matthew, and I'll be using Mark, or I'll be using Luke. And I want you to see both of them. They're kind of the same, but they're a little bit different. Jesus' parable in the Chronicle, his first parable was Matthew 9 and 16. A new cloth, a patch on an old coat. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk new cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making it tear worse. That's the first one. That's the first parable. All right. The next one. Parable. He said, Neither to men pour new wine. So see, he had something for the women, talking about sowing. Now he's going to talk about wine. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskin. If they do, the skins will burst and the wine will run out and the wineskin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and they both are preserved. Wineskins in the Bible, they in bottles and stuff. They use wineskin. One reason, it was flexible. And, you know, as the wine fermented, it would, the bags would kind of blow up a little bit because of the fermentation. And so if they put new wine in an old wineskin, it would actually crack the wineskin. And one of the things they could tell you to do, they would tell you to rub olive oil on the outside of the wineskin. And you could keep that wineskin going a little bit longer because it would stay more flexible. Isn't it something that oil is compared many times in the scripture to the Holy Spirit? The more we stay in the Holy Spirit, the more flexible we'll become to the Word of God and the things that God tells us to do. So we got, he starts off and he's telling these, and he, they're just back to back, these, these parables. So he's telling us here that uh, there's the two things that he's given us that they don't mix. You can't put a new cloth with an old cloth because the new cloth has not yet been washed and it will shrink and it'll tear the new cloth. Uh, new wine can't put in, be put in old wineskins. So he's saying there's something new coming that won't work with the old. And it's two different parables here, and he's saying the same thing. Jesus was getting them ready to understand that the law and grace would not mix. 
The law and grace does not mix. It would effectively destroy both of those. If you try to mix the grace into the law, it'll mess it up. If you try to mix the law into grace, it'll mess it up. Jesus is saying some things cannot be mixed. When God reveals a new thing, he sometimes wants you to totally forget about the old. The prophet Isaiah 43 and 18 says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Jesus' mission involved a radical break from common religious practices. I believe right now there is another move of God that is things are being broke from religious practices. For what he brings is not a patch to an old garment. Jesus' teaching is like fermented wine that seems to almost have inherent vigor and cannot be contained within the old rigid systems. See, when Jesus' day, the Pharisees said, why don't you come and be a teacher over here? Or the, or the Sadducees, or, or you know these different religious people. And Jesus said, I, I can't mix what I've got to tell you with what you're doing. It won't mix. It won't work. It's like some churches today, they may be praying for revival, but God knows their heart is not ready for revival. And if God were to send a revival, all it would do is split that church into four or five different congregations because the congregation is not ready to hear the Word of God. And so there has to be a readiness of heart. There has to be a readiness to hear, a readiness to, to obey, or it just it brings uh, disaster. And so Jesus is teaching this, and during the Last Supper, he spoke of a new covenant that's coming, which is indeed new, is not merely an improved extension of the old covenant. The Old Testament, Testament means covenant, and then there's a new covenant, New Testament, new covenant. Luke 22 and 20, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, held it up, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Now, what did the wine in that cup represent? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus was fixing to in, uh, is going to impart a new covenant, and it's going to be different than the old covenant. And the blood, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. How is the new covenant different from the old? I'm glad you asked. The new covenant is a once and for all sacrifice of sin, while the old covenant requires repeated sacrifices of sin. When Jesus spoke of the new covenant, he was referring to his own blood as shed for the forgiveness of our sins in place of the old covenant, which simply appeased for our sins through the blood of animals. It made him, it made him feel better in their conscience awaiting something bigger and better. Jesus was the bigger and better that was coming. Matthew 26 and 28, he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. The big difference between the blood sacrifice and the one uh, in the old covenant is that it only, offered, it only offered once for sins. Jesus' blood was only offered once. That's why I say, his blood is for our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. One time, he shed his blood. Uh, and so he offered them up once for our sins. The old covenant required 
repeated sacrifices of sin, shedding of blood before God would forgive the people of their sins. When Christ died for our sins, he paid for, the, paid for it in depth and satisfied God's divine justice completely. There is no need for us to continually offering sacrifices or feeling punished for our sins. I told you one time that they'd estimated there's 150,000 lambs slain just during one Passover in Jerusalem. One of the times they counted. Blood was literally running in the streets. When Jesus come, he's putting a bunch of people out of business because they weren't going to need no more lambs. They weren't going to need them slain anymore because Jesus wasn't come to patch up their old thing. No need for him to come and shed his blood and they keep doing the same old thing they've been doing. Hebrews 10, 14 explains it further. Because by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, Jesus shed his blood and he sees us as perfect. He sees us as righteous. He sees us as holy. He is making us holy. He is making us righteous. It's a work that he's doing. He's going to accomplish this. Hebrews 9 and 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time. But not to bear sin. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. John 19 and 30. When Jesus was on the cross. They gave him something to drink. And Jesus kind of spit it out. And Jesus right after that he cried out. It is finished. He wasn't finished. The new covenant was finished. He had just shed his blood. And he was shedding his blood. And he was fixing to give up his spirit, the ghost. And he was giving it up. And now the new covenant was, is put in place. And now his blood is our remission of our sin. And with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the parable, Jesus is telling us not to be guilty of mixing the old covenant with the new covenant. The new covenant promises a complete sacrifice for sin at Calvary. We must not mix the new covenant with the old covenant. It can, it, it can continue to live our lives if, if we need to continue to punish ourselves or do works of penance or recompense for our sins. That's what Martin Luther uh, was all about. You don't need to do this and you don't need to do that. Jesus has already done it. Christianity is not on things you do. It's on what Christ has already done. For the Christian, for the child of God that believes in the grace of God, when you get to heaven, there's nothing you can add to the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. It's all a work of Jesus. There'll be nothing for you to brag about. There'll be nothing for you to glory in. It's all in the cross of Jesus Christ that we glory. When you invite Jesus into your life, he does not do a partial job of patching up your life. He turns your life into a total new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the newness new has come. We talked about it in Romans. We talked about it in Galatians. It's God that gives us a divine nature. A divine nature. 
The divine nature starts working in you. The divine nature begins to build in you. It's God that deals with the sin of, in our life. We must not hinder God's effort to turn us into his new creation. But a Christian who deliberately holds on to his sin, and he will become inconsistent. He will become miserable like Paul. Paul was very schooled in the law. He was a, a great scholar. He knew all the first five books of the Bible. He knew all about the law. He could quote the law. It was hard for Paul to give up the old and take on the new. When he first started, he was in a dilemma. In Romans 7, uh, we find, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is, keeps on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work in me. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in the law. They, now he's got this new spirit in him. He, he delights in the law. He wants the law. That's what he wants. But I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? You will find the answer to that, that Jesus Christ was what rescued him from trying to live the law. You or I cannot live the law without Christ. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. You can't keep the principles of God's word. You can't keep it all. You've got to have the spirit. So in Romans 7, he uses a personal pronoun over 30 times. I, me, my, but it's primarily I. I, 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 I. There's a lot of people trying to serve God in the mighty I. They got an I problem. It's them. They're trying to do the works of God without the works of God. They're trying to follow God and they can't do it. You can't live for God. I can't live for God without God. It's not the do attitudes, it's the be attitudes. First, we must be, because if we try to do without being, the doing doesn't count. It's worthless. He says, you can say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name, and I've done that in your name. He's going to say, but I never knew you. You first got to be in Christ. It's the great be attitudes. If you're in Christ and his attitudes in you, he will work out the problems in your life, the sins in your life. He will, he's working that out. And we find in Romans 8, Paul does not use the personal pronoun at all in Romans 8. He said, there is now no condemnation to those that walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. And I told you in Romans that that uh, it actually says, there is now no condemnation, period. That other was added later. It's not a part of the original con uh, transcript. There is no condemnation. Why? The Spirit is there. The Spirit is in us. He uses in Romans 8, 22 times, in the Spirit, by the Spirit, of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of the living God. It's God's divine nature that brings us into holiness. It's God's divine natures that will present us faultless before our Heavenly Father. It's that divine nature that already sees us as righteous and holy. And God is doing a work on us. And when He is through, we will be His new creation. Make no doubt about it.
Then he rolls right into another parable. Going to the third parable. He says, nobody takes a lamp. There's two different versions. Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand and he gives light to everyone in the house. That's Matthew's version. I actually like Mark's version better on this. He says it a little different. And the Lord Jesus said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or a basket or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick or a stick or a lamp, Sam? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifest, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should become uh, abroad. If any man, I want you to get this part, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed to what you hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he hath. The parable there in Mark 24. See, Matthew's talking about putting your light. See, we don't have any light. I had Roger come up, and I think I'll just illustrate it because I about run out of time. This is a lamp in Bible times. So I got this in Israel when I was there. A little bitty clay lamp. You put olive oil in there, and this wick goes through there, and you light it, and that will burn. They didn't have electric in, in biblical times, so that, they had these little bitty lamps. The Bible talks about taking these lamps, and they had a little thing they could put it down by their feet. And they could walk, and it said the Bible is a lamp unto our feet. If you were out in the dark and not have a flashlight, this little bitty light, you'd have to walk very slow, and you'd only see one step at a time. You'd move your foot there, and you'd see, and you'd put your next foot. And you move your foot step by step, little by little, you see. And you know what? The, the lamp being compared to the Word of God, you listen to the Word, you listen to it, you hear it, you do it. Then he gives you more to do. You listen. You take a little bit more. You receive a little bit more light. Every time you listen to the word. But not just listening to the word. you got to listen and do it. You have to move it forward. Get a little bit more light. And walk in the light to the best of your knowledge and ability. Little by little you walk in the light. I want you to know something though. You don't go, oh my God, that's the most beautiful lamp I've ever seen in my life. The emphasis is not on the lamp. The emphasis is not really on the lampstand. You know, we can make this bottle a lampstand if we wanted to. It's a lampstand. It's holding a lamp. But the Bible says the church, that the church is the lampstand. We as Christians are supposed to hold. We don't have a light. We don't have a light. Jesus is the light. We're, we, and you know, they took and they put olive oil. Olive oil represented the Holy Spirit, the oil. The oil. So the oil, if you run out of oil, your light goes out. If you don't, if you don't let the Holy Spirit in your life, your light's going to grow dim. It's finally going to, you've got to trim your wick. You've you got to keep this thing. So the church needs to keep this thing 
uh, cleaned out. It needs to keep oil in the lamp. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to be active in our church. We need to keep the wick trimmed and listen to the Word of God. When God says, you need to cut that out, we need to cut it out. And then we hold our light up. One light held up by itself doesn't mean a whole lot. In first service, I had, we passed these lights out to everybody, and I had a whole group of people come up and hold their light up together. The reason I did that, because the church together, unified, shows more light than we do as individuals. Did you know there was a huge battle one in the Old Testament with that very system? Gideon, he, he had this big old giant army, and he weeded them down under the direction of God to about 300 people. And he took, and he told them to take their lamps and put it in this, in this pitcher, this vessel. And they were to go, and if you ever get to go to Israel, you'll see there's these valleys, and these, about anywhere you're at, you can see a mountain ridge around you. Well, the army was camped in the, in the, in the valley there. So how could 300 men beat an army that's, you know, 100 times bigger, you know? How could they do it? Well, they surrounded the top of the mountaintops, and they went there very quietly, and they had their light hidden in a vessel. But at the given time, they were to take and break the vessel, and they were to declare the name of the Lord. And all at once, the enemy in the valley looked around the top of the mountaintop, and they saw those lights it was done in unity. It was done together. It was done as a body. And the enemy said, oh my God, we're surrounded. When they said they surrounded, they did not want to be captured. So they turned their swords on each other. And by the time Gideon army got down into the valley, the enemy had destroyed itself. That's what happens when the body of Christ gets together in unity and prays in unity, speaks the same thing in unity, works in unity, and they become the lampstand that God means for us to be. In the book of Revelation, you'll notice where he takes the lampstand away from some of the churches because the church is to hold up Jesus as a light. He said, if you'll lift up Jesus, I'll draw all men unto you. The message is not Dennis's message. It's not Grace's message. We've only got one message. It's Jesus. That's the only message we have. The entire Bible is about Jesus. There's only one message in the Bible, and it's Jesus. Amen. We lift up Jesus. Jesus is the light. We're just the holders up of the light. As the body of Christ, we should lift up Jesus, and we should lift up the teachings of Jesus. We should not only be hearers of the teaching of Jesus, but we need to be doers of the teachings of Jesus. It's very important. So we're seeing now, as he's preparing these people, he's preparing them for something big he's going to tell them in his uh, earthly ministry. And he starts off, and you'll notice from these parables... It starts off that he's talking about how to prepare for the storms of life. Jesus, he would tell them, he goes, you know, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. He said, you know, there's going to be storms. There's going to be problems. We'll find that we all have problems. How many's had a problem this year? About 100%, right? You get old enough, you're going to die. You get old enough, you're going to be sick. These are problems common to man. Don't matter. We all get older and we all go, yeah, I'm dragging now. It's common to man. 
There's some of you, you're so busy right now, you've got kids and this and that and that. And right now you're almost too busy to take any time for God or the church or the Bible. That's common. It's a common thing. We can't get too busy for God though. But we all go through those stages. I relate to where you're at right now. How to prepare for the storms of life. All right, here's one thing I noticed as I was going through this parable. Have you ever noticed he starts off, Jesus is starting off, if he's got something big to tell them that will help them be stable in the storms of life, where does he start out? He said, hear me. Open your ears. I'm fixing to tell you something. Open your ears. So have you ever noticed that the word ear is in the word hear? If you were to take the shape of a, a, a ear, see, I got long hanging down things here. <laughs> Some of you got short hanging down things. I got long hanging things. But if you were to take my ear and you were to take my ears off and put them together, they would look like a heart. It would look like a heart, really. This part of the ear and that part of the ear would look like a little heart. The ear is in here and here is in heart. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's a mistake. I think God wanted it to be that way. You're given two ears and one mouth because we need to be listening more than we talk. If I come and I sit down and I talk with you, and I go, well, I'm just going to be quiet and I'm going to let you talk. When I leave there, I'll be smarter than you about that subject because now I know what you know and I know what I know. But if I come and I talk and I don't listen then you know what I know, and I still don't know what you know. And so Jesus is fixing to tell them some important stuff. We're going to talk a lot about the stuff in your Bible that's written in red. It's written in red because these are the words of Jesus. Jesus' words are highly, highly important. And so he wants you to open your ears to hear. And he wants you to, what you hear, he wants you to let it Go deep in your heart like the sower in the seed. He said some people's too busy. Some people are become too hardened. And uh, so that's a another parable. But he's starting from the outside. If God's going to change your life and change your destiny, it starts with you listening to God. Listening to God. And you listen with your ears. And you, there's a difference. Well, I, there's a difference between hearing and You've heard it. You're awoke to it. You, you, you've applied it. It's a part of your life. It's in your heart. Uh, I think Jeff's going to talk about this later in one of his sermons about a rabbi. It was a thing that if you, as they questioned you, if you heard it, then it was understood that you would obey it. If you don't obey it, you haven't heard it. You haven't received it. You haven't grasped it. And he'll tell you a little bit more about that when he shares but he tells you, he said, if you have ears to hear, let it be heard. Have you also ever noticed that the word silent and the word listen is exactly the same letters? Just turned around. Some of you are in a very silent place. You're in a very dark place. You're in a very quiet place. It's like you, you, you don't have no friends. You feel lost right now. You feel separated. The enemy likes to separate us. And isolate us. But sometimes that's exactly where God wants us to be. Because he wants us to listen. And before you can listen, you got to be quiet, kids. 
Every teacher in school said, okay, be quiet. Or they'll do some symbol like this means, this means be quiet. And they'd be quiet because I'm fixing to tell you something. We got to be silent sometimes to listen. You ever seen anybody there talking, 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 they're not listening to anything? You ever been with somebody you know you're not being heard because they're, you're talking, but you see that they're waiting on you to shut up where they can say something. They ain't listening. They ain't listening to a thing you said. Jesus knew he was facing an audience that had a lot of reasons not to listen to what he said. Because when he was going to tell them about a covenant that was used as an example to bring about the new covenant, you're telling me what I've been doing all this time, all these uh, lambs I've killed, is really to no avail, now you're the lamb, and it's, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that they wasn't important, that the gospel was not all about them, that the gospel was about Jesus. They didn't want to hear it. I'm going to tell you something. You're as close to God as the last time you've told God no. See, God will lead you, and He'll show you like one step at a time. One step at a time. Like the light. But at one point, he gets to a point, and it comes somewhere in our life. Oh, God, I don't know about that. That's where your Christian growth just stopped. It stops where you quit obeying. See, the art of listening is the heart of learning. The art of listening, especially listening to God's voice, listening to the Holy Spirit, is the heart of learning. It's the heart of learning. And you know, they say leaders are learners. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to be a learner. But you'll never be a learner if you don't listen. They're all principles that Jesus taught. And then you can't just be hearers of the word. You've got to be doers as well. Obey what you know and you will know more to obey. Did you notice when I gave you the, the story there in the book of Mark? At what measure that you meet... By that measure, you'll get it back. He uses that about if you judge people harshly, you'll be judged harshly. To what measure you give it out, you dish it out, that's what you're going to get back. You ever heard the song, Smile and the Whole World Will Smile With You? We, we reflect back. People normally reflect back. what you, you give out judgmentalism, it comes back to you. So he said, you judge people and you'll be judged. He said, you love them, you'll be loved. He tells us, he said, if you give unto the gospel, it'll be given back to you, pressed down and shaken over. Even more than you give. Some people have given out hatred and they reap more than they gave out. They reaped a, reaped a whirlwind of hatred. And so he's telling us a principle here. Ye that listen to the word and you take it in and you... And you take that word and you make up your mind that you're going to follow that word. Those people get more word. They get more light. If you accept the light, you get more light. And he tells us in a passage, he said, take heed what you hear. Or how you hear. Therefore, because Jesus had spoken the word. He says, take heed. We need to listen. Need to listen. He gives us this principle that is behind the whole statement. With what measure you measure out, it shall be measured to you. And to you that hear shall more be given. If you hear, you'll be given more to hear. 
You ever kind of just lost your desire to tell anybody anything anymore because they didn't listen to the last thing you told them? He tells us about quenching the Spirit. Hebrews 5 and 11 says, it gives a warning in Hebrews 5 and 11, of whom we have many things to say, they're hard to be uttered. What they needed to tell to these people, they didn't want to hear. He said, it's hard to utter because you are dull of hearing. That's an interesting phrase. For when, for a time you ought to be teachers, you have need to one teach you again. They were already taught one time. Now you need to be taught again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. These people at one time were at the level of teachers. Now they're little babes in Christ. They're needing milk again. Therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Heed to heard. More heed to what we've heard, least at any time we should slip, let them slip away. Not only will you not keep growing in Christ at the point of your non-response to his word, you will start regressing from Christ. So I've been in the way 30 years. Yeah, you need to get out of the way or grow up. <laughs> That's what he's saying. So the principle is this, the one who responds to the word of God receives more of the word of God, but the one who does not respond to the word of God actually loses. If you want to study that a bit more, look at the parables of the talents. Those that use their talents gets more talents. The parable of the pounds, we'll talk about those eventually. Obedience is the key to spiritual knowledge. Obedience is the key to spiritual knowledge. Obey what you know and you'll be given more to know. It's interesting. It was this Chinese pastor that was uh, doing work among the Chinese people. And uh, he was uh, given a bunch of Bibles to give out to his congregation. And, and they noticed that they kept waiting for him to give out the Bibles to the congregation. And he didn't do it. And they said, we don't understand. We gave you these Bibles and you haven't given them out to your congregation. You've just stored them away. Why is that? And so he replied with this thought. He says, I have discovered that it is dangerous to learn truth at a rate faster than we can practice it. He went on to say, I don't want them to encounter too much truth too fast. Otherwise, they will get in the bad habit of never using what they know. Some of you know I love instruments, uh, banjo, mandolin, guitar. I got a bunch of instruments. I just can't play none of them worth a flip. I even went over to the Mountain Music when it was there, and I asked the guy, I said, uh, you give out banjo lessons? And he goes, yeah, but I can tell you, if you'll buy this video and this book, it's not that much. But he said, here's the mistake most people make. And all this is coming back to my memory when I read this. He said, take this video and this book and do lesson one. Do not go to lesson two. Don't watch lesson two. Don't even go there. See, I'm bad about going on YouTube and I watch every video anybody's ever made about how to play a banjo. Man, I got so much music theory about banjo, you can't even believe. I know a bunch of different ways to tune them. I know a bunch of different ways to pick them. I know more stuff about banjo than you can even imagine. The only problem is I can't play a banjo yet. 
And this statement that this guy at the music store came back to me. He said, it's very important. You do the first lesson. You practice that first lesson until you can do it perfectly. Then you bring up the next lesson and you do it perfectly before you go to the third lesson. Then I thought about this guy and what about giving out the Bibles. See, if we're not careful, we get in the habit of thinking if we come to church every week and we hear more of the Bible, we hear more of the Bible, we hear more of the Bible, that man, are we becoming great Christians. No, we're becoming little, little pots of people that's heard the Bible. We'd be better off to teach one principle until we were all doing it and then go to the next principle. We need to do the Word. The Word, He said, I'm not trying to produce hearers only. You can't just be hearers only. I'm producing doers. you got to do the Word. You do the Word. It's a step at a time. You do that part of the Word, then you do this part of the Word. You know, if you've got to crawl, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, He says, forgive, then go back to the altar. You're going, right, I don't think I can do that forgiveness thing. That's where your Christian growth stopped, right there. You say, God, with your help, I'm going I'm to try to start forgiving. You move forward. A little while with some of the grace of God and God's help, He helps you move a little bit forward. Pretty soon that becomes a distant memory of something you couldn't forgive. You're moving forward. Christian growth will always stop where you quit listening and obeying God. On every single one of us. Congregations become very judgmental. Because they know a lot of the word. Jesus told the Pharisees, you know a bunch of stuff, but you ain't doing none of it. The woman they caught in the act of adultery. Well, ye without sin, you know all the rules supposedly about sinning and, 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 and committing adultery. But yet, you still do it because ye without sin cast the first stone. Not one of them could cast the stone. It's a principle. In the Word of God. Matthew says, this is how it works. He said, I tell you in darkness, Jesus said to the disciples, that, that speak ye in light. And what you hear in the ear, that you preach it from the housetops. And he tells us that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in a world, holding forth the word of life, that ye may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain. See, he's telling us that we should be the light in a dark world. We should keep holding that light up. Holding up the truth. You know people every day. There is clear principles in the word of God about things we should be doing. And it may be your party affiliation. Uh, God's not with a party, Democrat or Republican. But there's a, well, I'll tell you what, my party ain't doing that. I don't believe that. If the Word says it, you need to believe it. If you don't, your, Christian, your Christianity and your walk with God stop right there. If God's Word said it, you need to go, where do I get started doing it? Because he said, he said there's some people that you've got to realize that light will not fellowship with darkness. And you know, when you, when you go and you are light in the midst of darkness, people hate that. They don't like that. He said, we, we are to be the people. We're to be that light in the darkness. We're to be that, that church. You know what we really are? I'll tell you another little story that kind of is, is not a parable, but I like it. Uh, being a Christian is like being a pumpkin. God picks you up from a patch and brings you in. He washes you off, all the dirt. Then he 
cuts the top and scoops out all the ugly, yucky stuff. He removes the seeds of doubt, hate, and greed. Last, he carves you a new smile and a face, and he puts the light inside of you so you can shine, so the whole world will see. Well, that's a lot like what Christ wants to do in a new creation. He will pick you up, clean you up, clean you out, and make you shine before man. The last parable here, the wise and the foolish builders. I'm going to use the, uh, uh, the other version. He'll put the other one up. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does, only he that does. So it's not a say religion, it's a do religion. You can say all kind of stuff, but if you're not doing it, you're like the Pharisees. You're not doing it. But only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that, that in that day, Lord, Lord, I did this. I did prophesy in your name. In your name I drove out devils, performed miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and the house came fell with a great clash Matthew 7:21 all of us are going to have storms. Some of your storms are going to wipe you out. Other people are going to stand through the same storm. You both went through a storm on the same block because it's common unto man. One of you, your house is destroyed. The other's not because you didn't build on the rock. Jesus one time said, who do men say that I am? Some of them say you like one of the prophets. Some said you like Elijah. But who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't hear that from no man. You didn't hear that from no flesh and blood. My heavenly Father, through the Holy Spirit, has spoke that into you. And upon that relationship, upon that hearing and obeying relationship, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You want a firm foundation? You want a house that won't be rocked by the storms of life? Build it upon a, doing, a hearing and doing relationship of the Word of God. How many of you ever heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Not pizza, but Pisa, if I've said it right. They just done a renovation on that a few years ago. And the engineers completed $25 million renovation. And what they did, they moved 110 tons of dirt. Because they were trying to fix 16-inch sag in the foundation. 16 inches. Don't you think that's a lot of money for 16 inches? $25 million for 16 inches, a difference. But here's what we forget. That tower is 185 feet tall. 16 inches. You know what it is at the end of the 185 feet? It's about 17 feet. The top of that tower is leaning over 17 feet because 16 inches of the foundation is gone. There was nothing wrong with the tower the tower was made out of beautiful marble the problem was is where they built it is on a foundation that is not rock 
And so they're having to do all this work. $25 million to save that edifice if they'd have just built it on the rock to start with. I'm going to tell you, when you don't listen to God, it's going to cost you. It's going to take you places you don't want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay, because you didn't listen to God. God loves you. He wants to keep you away from the storms and the hurts of life. I know a pastor one time lived on the Mississippi River and every single time the river flooded, it flooded that church. They had a system now that they went in and they took scaffolding and they put the, the pews up on this scaffold. And then when it was over, they cut the sheetrock off of the bottom of the wall and they put the bottom back in and they, they rolled up the carpet. They'd done this over and over and over again. How many times do you have to be flooded before you think, I need to move away from this stinking river? People that are in a flood zone every single year. I can't believe we got flooded again. Well, I can't believe it. You're in a flood zone. Somebody ain't listening. It tells you you're in a flood zone. I don't think I'd want to live in Oklahoma if I didn't have a, uh, somewhere to go to get out of the way of a tornado. But we live our life like that every day. We're given all kind of warnings from the Word of God. And we go, I don't know why this happened to me. Yes, you do know why it's happening to you. You're not listening to the Word of God. and You're not putting it in operation. You can do, you go, you can take one little principle of God's word and you go, well, I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't, I don't, that's not important to me. That's not important to me. A little bit over a lifetime goes from 16 inches to 17 feet in your life, your, your whole life. Your, it could be your marriage. It could be your health it is, is, is falling over because you didn't correct a few little things. It's the little, vine, little foxes that destroy the vine. That's why these parables are so important. Jesus is getting those people ready to hear a big word. And he said, you've got to be hearers. You've got to open your ears. You've got to hear. You've got to apply it to your heart. You've got to do it. If you do it, if you do it, some great things will happen in your life. You will stand. You won't lose. You won't lose ground. See, eventually the storms will come. Eventually it will happen. And when that judgment comes, the only thing that will matter to me or you is whether we're in Christ, whether we're standing in Christ by faith. We have received His forgiveness and His righteousness. If you have, then you will stand. There may be some here today who know themselves to be outside of Christ. You're not standing in God. You're not... There's been many things that God told you to do and you go, oh, we're not doing that. Our family ain't doing that. Church ain't that important. But I want to tell you something. Jesus said, if we belong to Christ, if our lives are built upon faith in Him and obedience to His commands and fellowship with Him through the Spirit, there is literally nothing that can separate us from Him. Listen to these precious promises. No temptation has seized you except that that is common to man. In other words, you know, when you're going through something, you feel, I'm the only one that's going through it. No, what you're going through is common to man. Everybody's going through it. Some people are built on the rock and some are not. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says another thing Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. 
I know them and they follow me. Remember the other people, he didn't know them. They said they did all this stuff for him. It was a, a, you know, a, a do religion rather than a be religion. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Never. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am the Father. I and the Father are one. John 10, 27, 30. Paul said, For I am convinced neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, things present, things in the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39. The key thing to remember is when the storms of life threaten, and they will. When the sky grows black and the wind starts to howl and the rain pours down, the key thing to remember is that it isn't a matter of us holding on to Christ. It's not a matter of our strength to be able to hold on. It's a matter of Christ holding on to us. He holds on to us. He makes us holy. He makes us righteous. Folks, when we get to heaven, we be like, I'm glad you held on to me. I'd have never made it. I'd have never made it, but he held on to me. Don't ever give up. Don't ever back down. Keep being a light to God. It's all about his light. We're just, the, we're just a candlestick holder. We just hold it up. He's the light. I want to pray for us right now in closing. Some of you right here today, you raised your hand a while ago, you're going through some storms. They're common storms. They seem very uncommon, but they're common. Don't let these storms take you down. Get in God's Word. Listen to Him. He'll talk to you. Get in your own Bible. You get in the Bible and listen, He'll talk to you. He'll convict you. He'll say, you don't need to be doing this. Well, other people are doing it. I don't, know, I don't care. I'm not talking to other people. I'm talking to you. You shouldn't be doing this. You can't, you can't stand this. It's too much of a temptation. You need to quit it. God will talk to you. And if you listen, and upon that divine revelation that you've got with God, you will build a foundation that no storm, no devil from hell, nothing will ever be able to separate you from God. Don't mean you won't have storms. It just means it's not going to take you down. With every eye closed, every head bowed here for a minute. If you're needing your life to be placed on that rock I'm talking about today, you're going through some storms and you're, you just don't feel like you can make it anymore. You've got taken all you can take. Raise your hand real quick. God knows. God knows. Thank you. Others, thank you. God knows what you're going through. He wants to help you. He's on your side. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, right now is the perfect time to say, Jesus, come into my heart. I can't make it without you. Storms are taking me down. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person here today. God, I pray not only to the congregation, but I pray that I will be a listener to the Holy Spirit. That I'll build my life on the rock. I want to stand the storms. Help us as a 
congregation to be that lampstand that holds up the light of Jesus. It's not about the lampstand, it's about the light, and the light is Jesus. They told the disciples, said, you, 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 you need to quit speaking in the name of Jesus. They said, we can't, even, we can't even think about not speaking in the name of Jesus. What he's showed us and what we've seen and what we've heard, we've got to tell it. God, let us be light bearers, light bearers for you, Lord. Let us be walking in the light to the best of our ability. God, and if we do, our foundation will be so strong. God, I pray that none of our congregation will have to go through a storm so deliberately, Lord, that it takes them down, causing them to want to give up their faith, forget about God, forget about their church family. God, I pray that that not be so. It don't need to be so. I ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen.